Good morning. Is the time zone you're in good morning or? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. We're mountain time. I'm a couple, couple hours. I actually, I don't know where you are. Long Beach, Long Island, New York, where I saw you play like probably a month ago at Jones Beach. Uh, yes, 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 yes. Eastern. I was born on Long Island. You were born on Long Island? I was Manhasset. Wait a second. Okay. So they've got that great hospital there. Uh, that is a ritzy town. Why were you oh, there? Really? I have no, I, my dad was like in the National Guard or something, I think, and he was there. So okay, I so was only there for a while. Then we moved to, yeah, back to Western Mass. Manhasset gave the world uh, you, Chris Jericho, <laughs> just a few notables right there. There you go. There you go. But uh, the new record, let's talk about that first, Confessions of the Fallen. How long did you have to keep it a secret that Stain was making this record? Because it's an interesting thing that it, it's coming out through Danny Wimmer's label, which we didn't necessarily, the fans know was happening, et cetera. So it's like a secret on a secret. Oh, there you go. Um, I don't know that we ever really tried to keep it a secret. Um, I, I think we just kind of went about our things. And when it came out, it did. I don't think there was any, there was no really no plan behind what it was. And you know, the thing is, we actually signed it, man, I mean, like pre-COVID, I, I want to say we did. I mean, so, you know, and then we had this whole plan for 2020 that obviously everything kind of shut down for everybody. And, right. uh, you know, fast forward to 21, we were on tour with Corn, and I was able to really, you know, do a lot of work and really, you know, kind of find a direction that we were going to kind of go in. That's another tour that I saw at Jones Beach. I think I'm two for two on these recent stain tours. Nice. Thank you. Which is great to see. But how long has the record been done for? I mean, I remember it was mixed this year. So, I mean, uh, we finished it this year, early this year. Um, Aaron had some vocal stuff to do early this year. Then I actually remember I was in Florida for a while. And I remember getting mixes when I was down there. That was like February, March. Hmm. And you did play material from that live at Jones Beach, which is great to hear. So Thank how you. many songs is this pared down from this record? Because I believe there's 10 songs on the record and very is, yeah. rarely does a band write 10 songs. Granted, there's the Japanese bonus track, but usually it's 10 from 22. Yeah, you know, and honestly, it kind of was that this time where usually... <laughs> If we write 10 and that they're 12 and that's what it is. But uh, no, there was, a I had a lot of stuff kind of kicking around that we, we sorted through and actually it, it really on that tour with Corn wrote a lot. Um, yeah. A lot of those songs are written on that tour. Um, and, wow. you know, it's really an opportunity to, you know, get, I mean, Aaron's on the road all the time working. You know what I mean? So kind of hard to pin down. So at least there we were together to get him into a room and, you know, play him some of the ideas and, you know, see what he thought and really kind of get a direction for, you know, where, where the record was going. Are you one of those bands where it's four members living in four different States? So therefore riding on the road is possible because that's the only time you're in the same place. Yeah, that's exactly it. I'm in Connecticut. Johnny's in Mass. Sal's in New York. And Aaron's kind of back and forth between Mass and Nashville. Got but it. yes, pretty pretty much. It was and that's why this was this record was made a lot differently than any of the other ones. I mean, we were never really in a room together <laughs> working on it at any time, you know. Um Johnny and I did our guitars and we have a, re a rehearsal warehouse spot in Western Mass. Um 
where we have, you know, we had a studio that used to be set up at Aaron's house. He sold that house. And so all of our stuff got taken out of there. So we kind of have it set up at rehearsal now. Um, and Sal did his drums in LA and Aaron did his vocals in Nashville. Wow. That's very rare. These days it's usually, okay, we got two weeks. We're going to make it in somebody's home. And that's that. <laughs> so, yeah, no, it was, and it was, it was really spread out too. I mean, like I said, you know, Aaron's working all the time. So it was kind of, you know, working around that schedule uh, a little bit. Well, Aaron has the solo career. You have seen Ansonia, et cetera. When you're writing something, do you know right away, okay, this is for Stained or this is for Ansonia? No, I kind of just write and, you know, whatever I have at that time, I don't know. I don't, I, no, for me, I just kind of write stuff and, you know, I'll play it for people and see what they like and, you know, kind of try and figure it out from there. Got it. Do you have uh, do you have room for compliments today or are you maxed out already with doing, you know, press? <laughs> no, <laughs> go right ahead. It's fine. Okay. So watching you live at these Jones Beach shows, you immediately, or at least I do as a musician, I watch you and I go, oh, that is an underrated guitar hero that people don't talk about as being a guitar hero. In other words, you seem to be improvising a lot with your lead parts live. Like you could play differently night to night. And Aaron's more, you know, the first three frets of the guitar and you're all over the place and you're doing leads. And where I'm going with that is, do you have to kind of hide the fact that you're a guitar hero, knowing that a lot of these <laughs> songs are more detuned in a way? That's the first part of the guitar question. I uh, well, listen, thank you. I don't consider myself a guitar. I mean, a guitar hero. I, I really has always been like playing and for the song and what the song, you know, calls for. And um, I mean, there was a time, you know, high school, college days. Yeah. Where I practiced 10, 12 hours a day and tried to be the fastest guitar player that I could possibly be. And, you know, um, and then when I got out of college, I kind of started stained with Aaron, you know, a lot of those bands didn't have solos and, I was kind of over it, to be honest with you, at that time. And I, I kind of really just kind of embraced, like, you know, I don't I don't want a solo. And then it kind of started to come back a little bit. So there's a few here and there if the song kind of calls for it, you know, where we feel that it needs it. Um, so, yeah, as far as that goes, I mean, it's really just what the song, you know, we feel the song needs or wants where we want it to go. So one of the things I just called out, and you could tell me I'm totally wrong, but a lot of the Aaron guitar playing is the first three frets, cowboy chords, if you want to be a snooty person. But, you know, those are the big hits. So Stain has these Yeah, totally. And then he has, Stain has these ballads. Am I to assume that it's a, if it's a heavier song that goes above the third fret, you started it? <laughs> if it's the first three frets, Aaron started it? I mean, that's not always true, but I mean... I mean, it's probably a safer assumption that that's the case, you know, but um, yeah, really, it really depends. But yeah, um, it's hard to generalize it like that, you know, um, but yes, obviously, Aaron, like it's been a while so far away. But yeah, like something to remind you, like I came with that music and we wrote that together. You know, the new song that just came out today is a ballad. Um, I wrote that music on the on that corn tour, actually, and we put it together um actually i think it's the last song we did the song that came out today um here and now i think it was the last song we did on the record had that song demoed and kicking around but it was kind of like we got to that kind of laugh hmm. with uh tunings 
are all your guitars at home naturally detuned or down a half step or does that happen after in the demo process or in other words if no. i walk up they, are all your guitars acoustics around the house and standard tuning and then it's different in the studio um no everything's down i mean because i mean i I've been doing that since, you know, Stain Star, which was 94. So, I mean, I yeah, all my guitars are down a half step. Um, and then, you know, different tunings. I kind of settled in. I, I got so – it became so much in having so many guitars on the road with all these different tunings. I kind of settled in on one tuning really on the last Stained record. And I've kind of stuck with that pretty much throughout – uh, moving forward and now it's a seven string baritone that i that i play and i, I kind of stick to this one tuning it, are you i'd say what it is or is it a half step yeah no sure no it's well no it's real low like the low strings down to f sharp and then it's uh uh c sharp d sharp c sharp and then everything's just regular from there so it's really just the lower the low seven strings tuned down you know to f sharp and then the, the other strings like drop d so it's c sharp and so it's kind of like you can just bar the, the fifth and I'm sorry, sixth and seventh string and the fifth and sixth string and it's a chord. Nice. So when I was a young guitar player, the first band that I noticed was detuning was Weezer. But then I realized, oh, wait, Van Halen was detuning. That's it was that's detuning. where I learned. Yeah, the half step thing was the Van Halen. Was Van Halen. Oh, so that was yeah. the first time that you really noticed. Yeah. I mean, listen, I. Uh, it, it was a half step down. I mean, Led Zeppelin did a lot of, you know, alternate tunings. Um, but yeah. yeah, Van Halen would, to learn those Van Halen songs, which was, I mean, he was like, you know, one of my here. I mean, like, I mean, I'm speechless. Can't even talk about the guy. How, how amazing I think, you know, he was and um, just how great he was. Um, but yeah, learning those songs is really the first time. And, you know, everything out of Floyd Rose back then. So tuning down a half step was it was such a pain in the ass to do because it's a floating bridge and it, I mean, it would take like a half an hour to like kind of get a guitar to play in tune. So um, yeah, it was tough. You talked about earlier how, when you started out, you wanted to be the fastest shredded Western mass. Was it in England? <laughs> no, no, no. The, it was the world. It didn't, Western mass had nothing to do with it. It was literally, yeah. And my, I said, I said, uh, you know, high expectations. Well, Nuno is Eastern Mass, right? He is, yeah. Okay, so less competition if you said Western Mass. If you said Eastern, <laughs> no one's going to beat Nuno. That's the... Right, yeah, 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 there you go, right. But how serious were you into your shredding? Was it uh, briefly an Ingve obsession? No, well, so Tony McAlpine was my guitar teacher. He's from Springfield, Massachusetts. What? Yeah. How was yeah, he, he was my guitar teacher? Yeah, he was my guitar teacher before he signed with Shrapnel. I was, I mean, I was playing with him like right up until he went and left for California. And I've been in the studio with him when he was recording stuff because we were, you know, we were friends. I actually haven't talked to him in ages, which I miss because I love Tony. Um, just a monster musician. I mean, probably yeah. the, the greatest I've ever met, you know. Um, but uh, yeah, so he was my teacher when I was in high school. And uh, really changed things for me and how I approach things. And I mean, really put me on this completely different path and getting to that, you know, not leaving the house and just playing guitar all day and night. So was there a bad demo tape that 
Mike submitted to Shrapnel Records in the early 90s? Oh, my God. There wasn't one. There was, I mean, there must have been a half dozen. Oh, so, yeah. Like, I write, I could never find a singer, so I would just write instrumental music, play everything. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so when I call you a secret guitar hero, you literally were submitting demo tapes to Shrapnel yeah. to Shredding. Yeah, yeah, for sure. So what band took you out of that playing too many notes thing and realizing songs? Was it cheap? No, I was always into the song thing, but I could never find a singer. It wasn't really until I found Aaron that I was like, oh, my God, you know, where, where have you been? You know what I mean? I was just always writing music. And, you know, and I, I did have bands of singers that did originals and would play out, but it just it was never, you know, and then I found Aaron and it was like, where has this guy been you know totally and his yeah. voice still sounds great today it's not one of those things where you have amazing to change the keys uh because oh the dude can't sing it 15 years later it's great to see that so so yeah. going back the first time i saw stained was opening for corn at the nassau coliseum long island 2000 Col 2000 good memory like that uh when that happened Stain pretty much didn't have any ballast. It was it was a no, yeah. It was that just, was a, all we had was dysfunction that was out. So there wasn't really too many. There were some slower songs, but nothing like ballady, like uh, break the cycle. So the first tour when you had your first ballad, was it a a relief in a way that you were going to be able to change up the dynamics in a way and alternate between the heavy and the soft? Um, I, I, I don't really recall. I mean, I don't, I don't even, I felt there was even like some stuff. There was a couple of songs on the first record that weren't necessarily ballady, but they were lower, you know, like home was on that record. Uh, there was a song called me that was kind of like a little bit slower, dark, but slower. Um, so, you know, I kind of felt we we always tried to have that in what we did, but it definitely got further the later we got in our career got it well two quick questions and then i'm gonna let your own free and the, the first one is we all we know about you is that's the dude who plays guitar and writes music and stained in saint antonia and pops up every now and then in an all-star band or jam or that kind of thing we don't know much about you outside of music what's the number two hobby where does the time go are you one of those golf heavy metal people no not at all well so it's so funny that you asked that because uh so father i would say husband and father is really my other my other thing that i do um but i uh, my son was out with me all summer and i uh, it was great having him and you know he he started playing golf last year so and i have i mean when i was like in college i would kind of go with friends here and there i was terrible and i remember one time i i went so low i hit the ground i hurt my wrist and it hurt to play guitar so i never played golf again i'm like i'm never doing this and uh so you know with him being out days off i was trying to we did like top golfs all around the country with him so uh but no that's just something that's you know more his his type of passion but uh um but no really it, it's you know my daughter rides horses. I mean, I spend a lot of time at the barn and at horse shows with her. Uh, my son plays baseball. So it's, you know, a lot of, you know, practices and 
you know, games, although this was the first summer that he hasn't played. He decided that, but that's neither here nor there. But uh, no, that's it, really. The, the exact opposite of the guy we see on stage, which is incredible. Yeah. yeah. Okay, and the last question, as a fan, what's the last concert that you went to for fun? Not because, hey, you're going to be on stage guesting or, hey, sure. well, riding with the guy. <laughs> no, sure, absolutely. I remember because, uh, well, it's funny. Again, and it's it's more more a kid thing um, because they wanted to go. And listen, I have friends, so uh, but we went to Shine Down in Three Days Grace um, concert, and um, oh, there was another band. Was that Spirit Box? No, it wasn't Spirit Box. They don't have a, the band. Didn't have, they're actually really good. I think it's they don't have a bass player. Um, it's not dark new day that's the old it's an old band anyways i can't a day was in then anyways i can't remember the band i apologize for the name they're really good though um kind of sounded like lincoln park a little bit um, oh okay uh but uh yeah they were good uh but yeah so yeah shy down papa roach i took them to and uh i'm well no papa roach was another one we went to that was with falling in reverse so it's mostly i take my kids because normally I might go down during the day and say hi to somebody, but not stay for the show. I, I don't know. I'm, uh, you know, pretty fortunate to have, you know, played with a lot of these bands and seen a lot of them. And that's kind of been, you know, my life. So there's not a lot of time that I go to shows. Um, but we did do a festival. I watched Highly Suspect the other day. That was great. I love that band too. So that was cool. Wow. Okay. Surprising taste right there. I thought you were going to say, I only go see George Lynch related bands. <laughs> <laughs> I actually, it's funny. I actually, uh, part owner of a, of a venue uh, in, outside of Gillette Stadium in Foxborough. And uh, we're trying to book the Doc and George Lynch thing. Is that the, the Jillian's at Fenway Park thing or the... No, that's no, that's Fenway in Boston. We're in Foxborough, which is south of Boston, outside of Gillette Stadium, where the Patriots play. You see that New York ignorance with the Massachusetts people. It's yeah, I do. It's like two hours away. <laughs> well, the bottom line, Mike, congrats on this new record. Looking thank forward you. to the next leg of the tour. Thank you for the time that you've given. And thank you for the many years of great music. Really looking forward to what's to come, whether it's Stains, San Antonio, San Antonio, or a Mike solo album. One day, one day. Shrapnel. Yeah, ahoy. yeah there you go. <laughs> <laughs> well, get Mike Vardy on the horn. <laughs> Michael, Peter, Matt, a pleasure to be speaking with all three of you. We'll throw the first one at Peter. We'll say, how did this band come together? Because it's three people who have a lot of credits, who are very busy, and it's not every day that you have a band with three people who have a lot going on. Oh, first of all, thanks for having us. Um, yeah, we came together it was one of those weird accidents in the universe. We we uh, were all a part of the Hedwig show on Broadway, uh, which a friend of ours wrote. And uh, Mike and I got to be in the band together um, as drummer and singer in this fictional band. And we, we were having a good time. And we became friends and we shared a lot of rides back home, back downtown from the theater and listened to a lot of music that we love, Bob Dylan and and heavier stuff and 
we just maintained our friendship and Matt and I, Matt was also part of the production and we went on the Hedwig tour together and we had such a good time just hanging out all over the country. We got back to New York and we started making music, instrumental music, and just for fun. We were just having a, a good time and uh, we really enjoyed hanging out. And one night Mike heard a few of the jams we had been playing and he noticed we didn't have any vocals and just casually was like, hey, if you guys ever need vocals on this. And we were like, yeah, and he uh, showed up and started singing on our jams. And there was no, even in the beginning, there was no thought of what we were doing or what it was heading towards, but we just kept doing that and, and getting great results. And that's kind of, we were paying attention and we just were like, holy shit, there's something here. And we just kept doing it and doing it. And that's been going on now for about five years. I mean, it right. kind of it happened to us more than we happened to it, you know. Right now, Michael, the first question I have is I've I've just heard you called Mike a few times. Is it a graduation yeah. level that once you get to know Michael C. Hall, you become Mike to them? Um, th there's no formal ceremony. <laughs> and uh, I never take issue with anybody calling me Mike, even if it's right away. It's sort of a dealer's choice. But yeah, you know, my mom calls me Mike. My wife calls me Mike. These guys call me Mike. You can call me Mike. Okay, well, Mike, as a follow-up to what I was just hearing from Peter, among your credits was Lazarus, which was famously Bowie's last situation, his last major production. I got to know Henry Hay a bit, who worked on that as well. Now, yeah. did you have to hide all these years that you were a singer-musician? Because obviously, when you take the subway in New York City, for years and years, we just saw your face. But we didn't know, right. hey, right. that guy is a singer. Um, I mean, I wasn't actively hiding it. <laughs> I just, uh, I I mean, my first, my first like, big, big gig as an actor was uh, uh, playing the MC in Cabaret on Broadway. And so, you know, I did use the singing uh, as an actor in musicals and stuff like that. But yeah, as far as, as far as uh, singing in a band or in anything in that universe, it just never kind of went that way. Um, I think the first really legitimate band that I ever got to front was the band in Hedwig, which, um, gave me a sense of what that felt like and uh sort of was a, like a boot camp in doing that um every night for for several months and um but yeah i mean it's something i i've always i've always uh i mean i've taken breaks from it but i've always done a good amount of singing um i just never uh never did it uh in this context you know and 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 you know, because I'm not really uh, an instrumentalist or whatever. I, I mean, there are plenty of people who front bands who don't play an instrument, but I just never, I never uh, thought it was in the cards. You know, I mean, I, I guess I, or, but it was in the cards. It just didn't get dealt until later. <laughs> right. Well, Matt, not to leave you out of this. Uh, your credits <clears throat> also impressive because besides Hedwig, besides Princess Goes, they include Blondie, Cindy Lauper, etc. Now, are you primarily a keyboardist, or did you default become the keyboardist? Um, yeah, I would say 
it felt like a default, but now I'm not sure. I just sort of exist in the nether regions, really, wherever those are. Um, <clears throat> I started on keyboard, and then uh, I was like, man, I want to rock. I want to play guitar, man. <clears throat> well, and, um, and then I, I gradually came back to keyboard. And that's, but you know, I played bass in Princess a lot. And um, guitar. And guitar. You know, P Peter was like, just pick up that bass, man. It's so, it's so fun. It was right. When you say that you wanted to rock, now where did that start? Because I find that if you're, let's say you're over the age of 40, like myself, it was Van Halen and Kiss. And then if you were under 40, but 32 to 40, it was probably Nirvana. And then 32 to this is Green Day. Where does the rocking start for you? Right, exactly. I, I'm sort of in between. I was like, um, you know, the hair metal, like Headbangers Ball, MTV, you know, Poison, Guns N' Roses, Metallica, all that stuff. I saw Billy Idol last night in Brooklyn, and that guy rocks. Man, Steve Stevens on guitar. Wow. Steve Schneider on guitar. Schneider, exactly. Steve Stevens, <laughs> A. Schneider. See? Yeah. Um, when, when when you're Jewish, you're growing up going, oh, man, I wish I were cool like these people. And then you realize that everybody's secretly Jewish in hair metal, but that's not the point. Uh, the point is that your musical influences have that rock end. But then also when we watch the videos of Princess Go, I hear, coincidentally, I'm wearing a Peter Hook shirt, not planned, but I hear more of a new order kind of influence. Does that come more from Mike? I don't know. Yeah, we all we all have that love of that Manchester scene and um you know but that's cool that you hear that, you know. Are you saying on the new videos that you've seen or just in general like between blur and really all the videos, I hear a it's the kind of thing where I don't consider new order dance music. I consider it well-produced, layered, poppy yet meaningful stuff that can be on in the background, yet you can hear all the meaning in that, if that description kind of makes any sense. But I do hear the Manchester sound. Uh, so that is also an influence besides hair metal? Absolutely. Yeah, I think, you know, coming up in the late 90s in New York and the early 2000s, there was the massive resurgence of the manchester sound with joy division and you know, sure. carlos d would always BFA, yeah be djing joy division and new order clubs people would be dancing to those songs so i think that also affected certainly my my dna i mean um because yeah like you said growing up listening to joy division is one thing but then going to a club and people are actually dancing to it it's like oh this you know, you know this music is finally kind of live Sure. Now throwing it back to Mike here, looking at the upcoming tour dates, there's a gig in Brooklyn next week. Then there's Manchester, which we were just talking about in Germany, the Netherlands and Belgium. When did you realize, hey, I don't want this to just be a studio project, but I want to take this on the road with Francisco's? I mean, it's it's like Peter said. I mean, I think we just keep showing up and 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 hopefully uh people show up where we show up <laughs> you know it's like we, we we played that first gig because we 
we found that we'd written some songs and um, wanted to share them beyond just that room that Peter and Matt are in. And um, yeah, we we found people to help us out to book us some gigs. We got uh, hooked up with a with a with a booking agent over there who who's been able to line stuff up for us. Um, this is the second time we've gone over there, and um, you know we we we're excited about the music. We believe in it, and um, if, if if there are people to help us uh, line up uh, the chance to play, we'll play anywhere. You know, and. Um, and I do feel like you know fans fans over in the UK and and Europe more broadly are, are are really really great. There's a real love of live music there, um, a lot of great you know small clubs and um, and I mean it's a it's an amazing thing to go and share something that's so sort of personal and intimate with a room full of strangers in a totally strange place. Um, it's a it's a beautiful feeling. Outrocast. <laughs>